Welcome to Payne on Politics, a podcast where host Dr. Gregory Payne of Emerson College sits down with fellow experts to discuss the current state of politics, public opinion, and global affairs. In a world growing increasingly complex, communication and critical thinking is key. This only makes the Emerson motto, expression necessary to evolution, more true. Hello, this is Gregory Payne, the Chair of Communication Studies, Co-Director of the Emerson Blancarina Communication Center at Emerson College. And we're here today to interview one of Emerson's best and brightest, that is Matt Shearer, who graduated in 2009. Matt, you and I have been talking about your visit. What's it like coming back to your alma mater? It's wild. I mean, in so many ways, Emerson is exactly the same, but in other ways, it's totally different. I mean, it's grown from what I've seen. Uh, the buildings, there were so there are so many more buildings. At the time, it felt like it was just the Ensign building, the little building, Piano Row, where I was one of the first students to sleep in one of those beds. Yes. And uh, yeah, and that's about it. And now there's the, the, the Paramount Theater, which has been revitalized. It lights up at night and looks beautiful. Um, the Colonial Theater, I know, belongs to Emerson now. It, it's just really cool walking down uh, Boylston Street here and looking in the windows and seeing all the students in these beautiful state-of-the-art facilities. Well, it's, it's great to have you back because many people say, gee, I hope I can be as successful as Matt when he graduates. <laughs> now, when you were back here, we were chatting and you said you remember people like Jack Casey. What, what oh, was yeah. it like having Jack as your professor? Jack was... I feel like more than a professor in a way like it. I don't know if he realizes this or if I've ever told him, but he felt like more of a mentor. Yes. Because incredible mentor. Just listening to his stories from the old days of radio. And I mean, he has that current perspective, too, because he continued to do it all through the years through Magic 106.7 and uh, WERS and just two amazing brands that he built right here in Massachusetts. Um, I've kept in touch with him a little bit on social media, but I mean, yeah, just... Uh, he was, I, I feel really lucky to have been in his presence for so many years, for four years. Well, I have to say, we, we were out at um, at the Woosock Stadium, and of course, he's still in the, with his motorcycle. So he has that <laughs> leather jacket on, he looks a bit like Easy Rider. Right. Yes. So <laughs> I always used to say he was kind of like the, J, the uh, Jay Leno of radio, how Jay Leno is all about his co cool old cars and going around, and Jack's all about the motorcycles. Right, right. He's that guy. Well, you know, Matt, one thing you said was when you were growing up, of course, you're from Massachusetts, correct? Yeah. Yes. Acton, Massachusetts. Acton, Massachusetts. You said that you wanted to come to Emerson because of WERS. That's right. Yeah, I grew up listening to WERS. Actually, when I was a kid, one of the first things I ever spent my money on, my own personal allowance money, was on a little boom box with an AM FM radio. And I kept it in the little gap between my bed and the wall. So when my parents went to sleep at night, I could put on my headphones and I'd be just scanning the dial, both AM and FM, trying to find whatever random things I could find, whatever unique voices I'd never heard before. And um, several times I stumbled on WERS and kind of grew a liking to mm -hmm. the different music and the personality and the formats and um, eventually I got a chance to have a radio show at my high school. We had a little radio station with like a three mile radius. You know, you could listen to us in the uh, cafeteria. That, that was our audience. But um, but I, uh, you know, I took it with my friends. Most of my friends wanted to just kind of do it as a joke. Haha, <laughs> imagine us on the airwaves. That'll be so funny. You saw Let's Beyond That. Yes. Yeah, I saw Beyond That. I saw Potential. And uh, somebody told me there, you know, you have a really great voice for radio. And I kind of rode the high of that compliment all the way to now where I am. 36 you know, and right. still doing it. Yes. And so I did radio there. Um, that was kind of at 14 years old where I decided this is, this could be something that I want to do with my life. And I always have to remind students and I will tonight when I talk to students here at Emerson, that that's not normal to have your mind made up at 14, maybe here mm -hmm. at Emerson it is, 
because that was one thing when I, when I got to Emerson, I noticed that talking to these students, everyone just had purpose. Yes. And you talk to them and they're like, oh yes, I am a filmmaker. I, I am a journalist. I am this. It's like, you're a freshman in college. You haven't done, you're, you're not this or that, but they are because they're doing it. You yes. know, whether it's in their own world or they're doing it part-time somewhere, they're interning somewhere. I mean, they're doing it. They're making it happen. So that's why when I got to Emerson, I felt like I belonged because I was a radio guy, you know, and I, I could say that. I did an internship at high school too at an alt-rock radio station. So that kind of gave me, a, put me a step ahead of a lot of my fellow students, my peers when I got here um, and applied to WERS and became one of the very few freshmen who applied who got on the air right away. I was very proud of that. And um, so by the time I was a junior here, I said, well, I've already done the internship. I have all this amazing experience working with Jack over at WERS. I've learned a lot. Why not just go for a part-time job right away? So what I did was I, uh, I was board oping, which is board operator. That's the guy who pushes the buttons overnight at a radio station to keep the station on the air from midnight till 6 a.m., three nights a week. And then I would go to class during the day. And I would also be doing my WERS shows, which were like at 6 a.m. or midnight or just whenever I could get any opportunity to be on the air because I loved it. I was yeah. living for it. And what you'll probably notice now is just that, you know, you can tell my drive here is was the medium. That was what motivated me to get into this world. So it wasn't necessarily journalism. There are a lot of people in the newsroom that I work with now who journalism was what they wanted to do. For me, it was the medium of radio that was just magical. Right. The fact that like, you can be alone in your car and just have this relationship with the person, even if it, it's a one-way relationship, but have this feel like you're connected with somebody somewhere in the world who's talking to you in real time. If you really want to, you can get on the phone and talk with them back. But um, but yeah, that, that's so cool. And I love to be that guy now, that companion mm -hmm. for the person who's driving and listening. I am the person in their passenger seat talking to them. And... Um, yeah, yeah. I, do, I can continue with my path if you want. I know I'm getting off on a tangent. No, here no, now. I think what, you know, for your many, many thousands of fans, I think that's what they say is they, when they talk to Matt, they feel like my best friend is with me. Mm -hmm. How are you able to connect? Because it's really the art of communication, which is what Emerson's all about. So how do you right. connect with all those divergent people listening? Well, I think for me, it's just about being real with them and talking to them. You, you know, a lot of people in journalism, especially in television journalism, I notice are trained to speak and enunciate a certain way, which makes, you know, makes sense. You want it to be clear for people to understand who are listening. But I like to talk to people like they're my friend. I want to make sure that whoever's listening has feels like, oh, that's a real guy. You know, even if it's a little bit flawed, even if I stumble every once in a while, I want people to just have that realness. And it, and that kind of translates to when I'm actually out in the field reporting. I'm kind of, you see me wearing a hoodie? This is what I wore to work today. You know, I want people to just feel like, oh, that's a real regular person. I can talk to him like a regular person. And that's one thing I always get complimented with in my stories is, how did you get this person to say that? Or they, they were really funny and really real and opened up to you. How did you get them to do that? And it's because I opened up to them and I was really yeah. done. Well, see, I think and what, what I always associate with you when I listen to you is there's an authenticity. Thank you. you. Know, I believe it. Uh, I believe you. You're very credible. People that know you. And I think, as you see, you come in. I hope that we are going to replace, not replace, but give you an Emerson uh, Polycom or, you know, PR hoodie. We <laughs> I'll take wear, it. Wear some of our swag. You know, you're known for someone who really is proud of uh, New England. And what is it that you think really distinguishes New England? Because your stories, I think, really are part of the brand. Yeah, thank you. And having grown up here, you're right. I'm very proud. I love one thing I love about my job is the fact that every day I'm in a different town in Massachusetts or sometimes New Hampshire or Rhode Island and experiencing different things and meeting really fascinating people. 
there's just something about it. And it's hard to say because I've never lived anywhere else, but there's just something about the community here that we really feel like maybe it has to do with sports. Maybe it has to do with the fact that the, the country was born here, mm -hmm. but just, it feels like New England is its own world. And, you know, we have this whole pop culture of our own in New England with local celebrities and local characters and people that everyone knows and, you know, certain terminology and, and a way of life that you, you don't get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. um, I guess part of the reason I've only ever lived in the same 20 mile radius is just because I feel like I have everything here and everyone here that I, that I care about. So well, I think that's the essence of people who love New England as we all do. My question with all the people that you've met and interviewed in places, what's, what are some of the most, I would say, memorable to you? Oh, that's, that's a really great question. I would say some of the experiences that I get. Like I said, you know, there was one week uh, sometime last year where on Monday I was driving a World War II tank. And on not like my two no, yeah, and then like a few a couple days later, I was driving a Lamborghini around a racetrack. Yes, and it's like, in what other profession other than journalism and being a reporter do you get to have a week like that? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's those sorts of experiences. You know, I grew up skateboarding and snowboarding, and I never got to surf being here in New England. <laughs> but I uh, did a story just last month about surfing in New England in the wintertime. This is the best time of year to do it here because the waves are the best. And so I finally got to learn to surf. So the most memorable experiences for me are getting out to do that stuff. And I wish I could have driven that tank home that day. Well, I think one person that's working on this production team, Andrew Geiger, can maybe help you with regard to surfing out at Huntington Beach. So, Andrew, you'll have to give him the address. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's got his surf shirt on. Uh, you say, I know that you're extremely active. When I hear what you're doing and I listen to where you're going, I say, how does this man fit it all in 24 hours? But you also have a family. That's right. Two kids. Yeah. I know it's probably too early to recruit to Emerson, but tell us about <laughs> the family life. I could. I mean, my three-year-old is very comfortable on the mic. Yes. I, uh, she see, she knows what I do for a living. It's very cute. She told me the other day, so I'm a reporter. Her mom is, my wife is a teacher. And uh, I, I, I was having this conversation with her. You can be anything you want when you grow up. What do you want to be? She said, I know I could be a reporter. I could be a teacher or I could be an escalator. I was like, yes, you can be an escalator. Sure, dream it, be it, whatever. An escalator repair person, maybe, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so I have a three-year-old. I have an eight-month-old, um, and that's a lot. I, I, I've, I mean, the moment my three-year-old was born, though, the moment I became a father, it just, everything changed in my head where all the stuff in life that was stressing me out just suddenly mm -hmm. seemed so unimportant. My number one priority in this world was keeping that kid not only alive, but smiling. You know, making that, giving that kid the best possible life I could. And so a lot of times work gets stressful, as it does in journalism. Deadlines are hard and fast and you're putting stuff out there for the world. So you need it to be really spectacular and good. But I have to constantly remind myself that being a parent is the full-time job and being a journalist is the side hustle. So when I'm home and I'm working, working from home and my daughter it's like, Daddy, now can you play with me? I have to take those moments to say, yeah, you know what? This story doesn't need to be filed until tomorrow morning anyways. Sure, let's go. And then what ends up happening is I'll end up finishing the job when they go to bed. And I say, oh, now I've got all this time to work on this. I don't, you know, I can stay up all night. And I do, unfortunately, stay up late a lot. Like, so how, how, do you, how do you keep yourself healthy, you know, with this balance, et cetera? Is there anything special that you eat, vitamins, 
things you avoid. Uh, I don't do caffeine, believe it or not, uh, oh for all these crazy I, hours. I do caffeine, yes. <laughs> Right? Well, when I was a student here at Emerson, yes. and I was board hopping those overnights and then doing class and all that, it, it was not uncommon to see me with a coffee in one hand and a Red Bull in the other. Like, that was just my life. Um, but at one point in college, in the middle, like, during a summer that I was at home, I got my wisdom teeth taken out. And... I was at home just like taking those painkillers they prescribe you. And I realized a few days later, I was like, I haven't had any caffeine. And then I'm going to see how long I can keep this going. And now all these years later, I still haven't, still haven't done it. I think the benefits to that are I am in much better control of my sleep cycle. Mm -hmm. I can sleep when I want to sleep and I'm awake when I want to be awake as opposed to letting caffeine dictate that. So I don't judge people for drinking caffeine. It's just, it works for me. Yes. Well, sometimes I try to get caffeine Coke Zero, but for the most part, mm. I'm still caffeine hooked. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> most Matt, people it, are. Yes. Uh, I, I think I talked to you a little bit about the evolution of uh, radio, the radio major and minor. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a minor now. It's podcasting, streaming, and radio. Yeah. From your perspective, what do you think a student, if they want to be the next Matt, what, what courses would you recommend them taking? I'm not sure what uh, the courses they have uh, at the moment, but I would just say to get out there and do it. I mean, it's so funny because I always said the best experience. I learned a lot in the classroom at Emerson, but I learned the most from actually being at WERS and being involved in like other extracurricular groups and like being surrounded by like-minded people and actually out there doing stuff. So my best advice for any Emerson student coming in is to get involved in as many things as you can outside of the classroom and just make stuff right now. I mean, there's never been a better time to be in the sort of creative world or even world of journalism, which I know people often see as two completely separate worlds, but I don't. I try to see them as one thing because you can be creative in the way you tell a story. Um, but there's never been a better time because all the resources you need are in your pocket. Right. You right. can create a fantastic podcast or video show or you know social media account and it may not be great in the beginning, but that's okay. College is the time to make those mistakes. Right. When I was just touring WERS again, I was flooded with all these cringy memories of my own of times that I just totally screwed up on the air and people called me out for it. But I'm really glad I had those moments because I learned from them. And I think a lot of people need to just start creating so that they can mess up too and have those experiences. You know, we believe very much in that, in the immersiveness. We take, of course, students to... Uh, to Iowa and various other types of primaries, and they report yeah. from election sites. One of the summer programs that one of your producers here, Ashley, has been involved in is Rosarito, where we did digital storytelling, podcasting. So we hope you could maybe visit us sometime. I'd love uh, to. Maybe, I don't know, 30 miles south of San Diego. Okay. Students will, as you say, pull out their smartphone. They'll do a, a smartphone story fest type of production. It's three weeks. Mm -hmm. They learn deadlines, etc. cetera. Uh, my question to you is how long is it going to be before we can get Matt back to teach at Emerson? <laughs> Maybe once my kids are old enough that I don't, <laughs> they don't require so much attention. Uh, so, you know, give them, I don't know, five, 10 years, definitely yes. 10 years when they're sick of me. <laughs> well, I think it would be very good. What do you think is your next chapter? I know you're very good at what you do. You've got an incredible following, but is there another step that you want to take? Or are you just sort of taking it as it goes? That's a great question, because as much as I've been doing this radio thing for so long and I've had a lot of success in it, um, adapting my stories and my work to social media is relatively new. It's only been in the past couple of years. And in a very short amount of time, I've built up a much bigger following. And it's kind of opened up a whole new world of potential and ideas for where I could possibly go with my career. So I am thinking about that. That's on the mind a little bit. Uh, 
you know, I don't know, maybe kind of taking what I do on a grander stage or more of a national stage, but mm -hmm. I don't know if necessarily what I do would work on a national stage because so much of what I do is so locally focused. So these are things that I'm kind of, uh, um, workshopping in my head right now, but, yeah. uh, and, and you know what, it's nice to have sort of an open slate to not necessarily know exactly where I want to go at this moment, because while I was at Emerson, my dream job was to be on a morning show, like a radio morning show, right. entertainment, doing sort of fun. And I did that for seven years. And then the pandemic happened and I had a little baby at home and no job and it was scary and I didn't know what I was going to do. And all of a sudden this door opened that I never expected to go down, which was the world of journalism. And I took all those little skills and my bag of tricks from the other past jobs that I had had and the experiences I had at Emerson and made it work for myself. And it's taken off in a way that I never expected. And I, um, I hope to keep growing from there. I think what you just gave is a wonderful testimonial for what we teach in crisis communication. And that is, it, it, when you're down and out, you usually have the opportunity to make that crisis an opportunity. Yeah. So one question I would ask you, one thing that we've talked about is your authenticity. People mm -hmm. believe you as a very credible source who has great, as Aristotle would say, ethos. We live in an era where lots of people can have a smartphone, they can have a podcast, and yeah. they're dealing with disinformation, misinformation. Yeah. What, how, what do you think the answer is? Because so many people say, gee, I just don't know if we're in a post-fact world. From your perspective, what's next? Well, I think the first step should be for every major credible newsroom to get on social media um, in a bigger way than they already are. I think um, you, you already see it in particular. Let's let's take TikTok, for example, because that seems to be the one that most young people are gravitating towards. And it's also full of absolute garbage information out there. Yes. Um, but we've seen some newsrooms adapt really well to it. I think off the top of my head, ABC News has done a great job. They broadcast live on there. They're live you know, television news broadcasts they put out there on TikTok Live. So people who are scrolling, who follow them can see up to the minute live happening now types of stories. But they also post like original content that they create for TikTok that is speaking to young people in a TikTok-y kind of way. So I think it's important for these credible sources to just be there, mm -hmm. kind of show the fake news creators, if you will, that um, there's, uh, there's really good quality stuff out there. And also not to shut... You know, I think there's a mentality in traditional media that social media is below them. That um, somehow because we are newspapers, we are radio, we are television, that, you know, social media, psh, you know, that, that, that's, that's not real news. But that's where people are getting their news. So if people are getting their news from there, then we need to be there too. And that's a big part of what I do at work is kind of adapting our stories from WBZ to TikTok and right. kind of telling the story in a way that people who are already on the platform that kind of speak their language a little bit. Well, I think your your role is kind of this harbinger who's taking the traditional media and basically democratizing it, bringing it into new apps that are going to be relevant to yeah. Gen Zers or freshmen at Emerson today who basically told me over the weekend in D.C. they get their news on TikTok. Yeah. So I think this, rather than being kind of a, a snob and say, well, you need to read your newspaper, et cetera, you really are, I think, ushering in the new way, which is what we expect at Emerson I would like to say, Matt, thank you so much for joining. I know you've got a busy schedule. You're going to be, uh, I think, inspiring people to be the next Matt that comes to Emerson. So we hope the next time you come by, you'll come here at the College on the Common and join us with this beautiful view. But just know that when we listen to you, we know that we're listening to the very best of what Emerson could be. Thank you for joining us. I'll that means so much coming from you, Dr. Payne. Thank you. Take care. Look forward to seeing you tonight. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you next time for Payne on Politics.